This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Hello and welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Cameron McCormick. By passion and practice, we at Altus are driven to decode the difference makers that high performers possess. The ways and means they use to earn their edge, to separate from the pack, to leave mediocrity in the rearview mirror and travel a pathway towards mastery. Be it through nature or nurture or more likely a mixture of both, the journey to uncover these things is the journey we're on. Now in today's episode, we're joined by PGA Tour player Bo Hostler. Bo grew up in Rancho Santa Margarita in Southern California, where he cut his teeth playing the junior tours. And he burst into the national golf spotlight when he held the outright lead in the 2012 US Open Olympic Club through just short of 36 holes, where he'd ultimately finish in 29th place, which I think we'd agree is no small feat for then 17-year-old junior. An important side note to that is that this was his second consecutive US Open after having qualified the year before to play a congressional. Bo's journey includes winning the 2011 Junior Worlds, the 2014 Western Amateur, the 2016 Jones Cup, along with six collegiate events during his three-year stint at the University of Texas, where he was a two-time first-team NCAA All-American, both in his second and third year. He was selected to play the 2015 Walker Cup and Palmer Cup before turning pro in 2016, where he suffered an injury setback that while it tested his patience, it merely delayed his ascent to the PGA Tour by way of finishing 23rd on the 2017 Web.com Tour money list. The conversation covers the spectrum of challenge and triumph with loads of advice and action points to glean from yet another world-class performer. Please enjoy this conversation with Bo Hostler. Hello and welcome. I am Corey Lumberg, and today we are joined by Bo Hostler as we sit at the beautiful Trinity Forest Golf Club at home of Altus Performance. And typically when we have a high performer like yourself and we start the conversation, we kind of dig into the background, the biographical information of how you started in golf. But I think that this is a special case in that most people are pretty familiar with your story. If, if you follow golf, you've heard the name and you've heard the name of Bo Hossler when he was a junior golfer, which is not always the case. And just for those who may not be familiar with the story, grew up in Southern California, played a lot of baseball growing up at 11 years old, gets really serious about golf. And then five or six years later has played in two U.S. Opens and was leading in one of those. And while I don't want to completely skip over the important elements of that development, because I think as we go down different threads of this conversation, we'll get there. My starting point that I want to discuss is as you're a 15, 16, 17-year-old golfer and looking around at your peers, there had to have been something that popped into your mind that said, I'm a little bit different in this regard. And I'm curious as we start this conversation, what did you feel like really separated you and distinguished you from other kids? Because clearly there was something that was very different. I'm curious as to what those what those elements that you feel like were were most prevalent and separating your, yourself from other kids similar in your age that allowed you to do some some extraordinary things at just 16, 17 years old? Uh, I think I was more disciplined, particularly at that age. I think I was more mature mentally, not physically. I was small. I was really small growing up. I didn't hit it far at all. Uh, I was certainly no man child. I mean, I played with um, like Grayson Murray at the junior world when he won and it I mean, it was absurd. I mean, he was hitting it 70 yards past me. But I think that was a blessing in disguise because I knew that I had to learn how to score or I couldn't compete. 
I knew I had to learn how to get up and down. I knew how to be efficient around the greens, putt well, and not leave strokes out there inside of 50 yards. And so I worked a lot on that. So there's a lot of those kids that don't have discipline and maturity. And usually that's a, a result of parenting or coaching or some support. So can you talk about the parental support and was it about upbringing? What was it about at home that developed some, that's an uncommon trait with a young teenager that says, yeah, I had a lot of discipline and maturity. So where did that come from? Yeah, certainly. I mean, my dad has always been pushing me to get better, whether it was baseball, like I was talking about, we'd go out, he put, spent countless, countless hours throwing me batting practice in the cages, us going down the field solo when it's raining or hot or whatever. I mean, we would go do it at any time. Whenever I wanted, he was always available for that. And I think that started for me, the discipline. It was just that the good news is I enjoyed it. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of kids, you know, their dad forces them to go practice and that's different than I wanted to do that. And then I wanted to do what I was doing with golf as I was wanting to practice. I was wanting to see improvement. I was wanting to go on the course and learn how to play the game rather than just hitting balls on the range with pinnacle balls off not particularly great grass. I wanted to learn how to actually do what I was watching on TV. And so my mom has always been a great support system for me as far as just like encouragement and like I said, support literally in any decision that I make. I mean, she'll ask me questions just to make sure that I'm thinking right. But my dad was more on board with actually being involved, when, particularly when I was younger. And um, at sometimes, you know, looking back on it, maybe even a little bit too much, but it was never that he was forcing me to practice. It was, I wanted to be out there. And sometimes I felt like I had a better way, but that's all a part of learning, right? That's what most kids normally think when they're dead. Is, is telling them something, yeah, at a certain age. So I want to go back a little bit to, because you referenced a couple of times how you practice. It sounds like if you're looking back about your development, that there's there's something to you being on the golf course a lot. So would you say that because you practice on the golf course, you developed a certain type of skill that set yourself apart from a lot of those developing in even those when you got to college and were successful at that level as well? Absolutely. I would say... I certainly practice differently now because I have resources that are different at that time. I mean, you know, if you want to go work on your wedges, I mean, I'm, that's, we're talking about hitting a mediocre range ball at a target that you really don't even know exactly how far it is. I'm just looking on the range thing and it says 85, but I mean, is that really the same as the golf ball that I'm using on the golf course and the conditions? So versus now, I mean, I can work on track, man, hitting good golf balls off of perfect lies and I can really get accurate data as to what I'm doing and I can be efficient with my time. I didn't have that luxury. So I went on the course and I would use a range finder. I'd use the balls that I played tournaments with. And so I just wanted to make sure that I was putting in a lot of hours, but I felt like if I can at least just get a lot out of each hour, I'm going to be a step above everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Now we'll move beyond junior golf into college golf, which we talked a little bit about and how important you feel like your experience at University of Texas is. And I, I don't want to dig into that, but you know, in junior golf, discipline and maturity are certainly going to set yourself apart from most junior golfers. But then you get to a point where you're in college and you're playing against the best, you know, golfers in the world that are your age. And I don't know that that's much of a differentiator anymore for the most part when you're talking about the top level, which is where you were. Do you feel like that there was anything that once you got to college, because obviously you had a ton of success at Texas, 
Was there anything that you feel like separated yourself at that level once you kind of are climbing up to the next rung of the ladder that you feel like, well, I'm a little bit different because, and I've got, I asked Coach Fields this question, so I know what he said, and I'm curious to hear what your answer would be. Yeah. The first thing I'll say is at every level that I've played at, including the professional level, college level, even like summer amateur level and junior golf, I'd say there's been an adjustment period for me. Whether that's for me in junior golf, moving from local to national tournaments or playing in U.S. amateurs and Western amateurs or playing in college golf tournaments and national championships to playing the web.com tour to playing the PGA tour. I think each step I have had an adjustment period as to getting comfortable. And now on the PGA tour, I feel, I mean, if it's the highest level in golf, I feel great. And that's encouraging knowing that, you know, major championships is the only level really that when you're in contention that you're going to, that I haven't experienced what well, I have experienced, but it's been a while since I was 17. Yeah, right, but, exactly. <laughs> um, but I've, when I went to college, I was, I was a really good junior player, but I was a, I was a junior golfer. I wasn't a quality amateur player. I was doing really well. I, I never was like a, I didn't win a ton of huge tournaments in junior golf. I won like the junior world tournament. That was probably my biggest win, but I didn't win any like AJGA invitationals, which were big. And then um, I got to college and I was very fortunate to be around a lot of really good players. So who right was there, when I got who, there, who was there right when you were there? When I was there. So I actually went there a semester early. I graduated high school early. I went there and Cody Gribble was in his final semester. Uh, Brandon Stone was at Texas. And then obviously I had played with Jordan growing up. I had, he had just left when I got there, but then I get to school and you know, my first year, Gavin Hall transfers to Texas. The next year, Scotty Scheffler and Doug Gim both come in. I mean, it's like every year you're getting top junior players that a lot of which have turned into successful professional players and, um, successful college players that are just getting started on their professional journey that are more than likely going to be really good. So I had the luxury of never being the best player on the team on any given day. I'm talking even the year I won the Haskins award. I, I had to earn the best player on the team every, every day. I wouldn't go to a qualifier and win by 10 strokes. I mean, it was like you played really good to win a qualifier on our team, which is amazing because I just don't think that you get anything out of going to a place where you show up the first day on campus and you're the best player because it's not motivating you to get better. It's not holding you accountable because you want to be pushed to get better, but you want to be pushing yourself too. Yeah. So that the follow-up to that is how did that reaction, your, your reaction to not being the best player or in your eyes, not being the best player, whether or not you were critical and, and grading yourself hard, I don't know, but what actions did that produce in you? in response to that, because that's one thing that in, like I said, we've had a lot of these conversations and there's always these moments where a athlete reacts in a really, really impressive way to a challenge that they see where, where someone else might encounter that challenge and go a different way. And it might be something that they're not able to overcome. And these conversations we've had, everybody has these little moments to where there's this challenge and the reaction to them is just extraordinary. So Clearly, you had a reaction to that that was helpful, and so I'm, I want to dig into what actions and whether that was with the support of Coach Fields or just things that you did on a daily basis, so that someone listening can say, "Okay, well, this is how I need to react when I get something like that." So there's a few things, a few, a moment I can f certainly stick out in my mind is I didn't win my freshman year. I really had a poor year until the end. 
I played well in like the conference and one tournament before that and then the regional and I played okay at the national championship and I I think I was maybe like a maybe a third team second team all-american anyways the next year my sophomore year so I didn't win my freshman year my sophomore year I won my first tournament sawgrass country club and just kind of a backstory a large reason of why I went to Texas was because like you said growing up in California I had perfect weather all the time I didn't play in wind I played on Poana and ryegrass and Kakuya grass and that's it. And whenever I went to Bermuda grass golf courses and junior golf, I was terrible. Couldn't chip off the end of the grain lies. I was struggling on short putts with grain going sideways. I was psyching myself out. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go to Texas and I'm going to conquer this because I'm going to have to face it at the next level anyways. So I might as well become proficient at playing on Bermuda. And I'm not going to say it's my favorite grass, but I'm far better I can be competitive on Bermuda grass, whereas before it was like a death sentence for me. So I went there, and anyways, I went up, end up playing the tournament Sawgrass Country Club, which is 100% Bermuda. It's pouring rain and coming down sideways, and the wind chills in the 30s in Jacksonville, Florida, which is crazy. And uh, I'm like one under par, playing a phenomenal round, my first round with like three holes to go, and just absolutely blow it coming in. I shoot 76. I don't remember what specifically what happened, but I had some seriously bad stuff happen. And I came in, and I don't think I've ever been so upset, angry off a golf course. And I told John Paul Haber, which is our assistant coach, I said, I am just so tired of this. I go, I'm so much better than this. I'm like, I've been in college for a year and a half, haven't won a damn tournament, and I'm tired of it. I can't go on doing the same stuff that we're doing. I, I, it's just, I need to close rounds out. I need to win tournaments. And it is entirely about winning for me from now on. Anyways, I go shoot, you know, 66 and low round by like six shots the next day. Shoot 70 and another terrible weather day the next day. Win the turn. Only guy under par win by six shots. And that was a turning point for me because, I mean, it was a good tournament. It wasn't a phenomenal field, but it was a good tournament. It was a college win and it was a W. And I, I was like, man, this is really important because... Number one, I just did it on Bermuda grass in terrible weather that I didn't grow up in, and I had no confidence that I could do that a year and a half ago. And number two, I just fully have embraced the feeling of winning and the feeling of not even necessarily winning. I shouldn't say that. It's not the feeling of winning. It's the feeling of having a chance to win with nine holes left. That's the feeling that I play for. When you're playing on the PGA Tour, I mean, it's hard to win. Sometimes you're going to play good and you're going to not win. Clearly. You know, <laughs> it happened this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. But it's I mean, it's like at the college level, pretty much, if you play really good, you're going to win. On the PJ Tour, it's different. So my point is, is that all I can really ask for is to give myself a chance to win. And if I go and perform under that pressure, what else can you do? Right? You got to live with the result. So I really embraced that. And then I think it was later that year. I had a good year that year. I was the first team All American that year. I don't think I won. I don't remember if I won another tournament, but I was really consistent right up there playing really good. And I considered turning pro. I mean, not seriously considered, but I considered turning pro after that year. I was like, ah, I'm going to come back one more year and had a phenomenal junior year, which was my last year. And uh, I think the turning point for me as far as getting better was I had grown up with all these result oriented goals and they're so lofty. I'm like, man, I'm, like not accomplishing any of the goals that I'm setting out. This is a problem. Like this isn't, I'm doing a lot. And technically according to my goals, I'm failing. 
You know what I mean? And I was like, that doesn't, it's not corresponding with what the effort that I'm putting in. So I said, I'm going to exclusively set process goals, zero, zero goals for uh, performance or for uh, what, what, would a, what would an example of those? So my goals, goals so I, I sat down with coach fields before my junior year. I said, okay, I want to be the best driver of the ball in college golf because my driving was, I was hitting it all over the place. And I said, you know, that I wasn't going to be the longest. I didn't, I hit it shorter then now than I even do now. So I said, I want to be the best driver of the ball, meaning I'm going to get the ball in play and give myself a chance on pretty much every hole. And I'm going to do whatever that takes. That means me go down on the golf course and take the shag bag and, you know, hit draws off the third hole at UT golf club, which is like the biggest nightmare tee shot in the world or whatever it is, I'm going to do it. So I also told him that I wanted to be the best wedge player in college golf. So I was going to get fully committed. We had just gotten pro V's on the range and we had just gotten no on the driving range at UT. It used to be these Nike range balls and they were terrible and they weren't, you can, it was kind of the same deal I was talking about when I grew up. It's like, I can't get effective practice in because this ball with no dimples is going crooked and I hit it pure. So you know, we were all over Coach Fields to get that done. He raised the money, got it done. And we also got a track man, another donation from, I mean, we've had unbelievable, I'm, I'm some of the best in the world there, a lot of which are members here, by the way. And um, we got a track man. I said, okay, I'm going to grind on this track man. I'm going to normalize all my numbers so that I'm consistent and I'm going to dial in my wedges. So what, is a, what does a session look like? So I set up these wedge tests so you can set up the... Um, the track man basically for i think it's under the performance center or whatever set up a test so i was basically saying okay call my test uh i think it was maybe 20 balls i'm gonna say i'm gonna have five that are random number between uh 50 and 70 i'm gonna have five that are between 70 and 90 i'm gonna have five that are between 90 and 115 i'm gonna have five balls between 115 and 135 or something like that i think it's i still have the same pretty much test so you're still doing that yeah, oh yeah and i did that and like I said, it was just normalized carry. So I was exclusively working on carry distances because conditions change and I need to be able to hit the number. And um, so I did that. That was one of my process goals. And then, uh, you know, I played another tournament. So Coach Fields, my last, I think, two years, walked with me on the golf course exclusively in every round. Uh, and then he would see every shot and we'd discuss a lot. And then after every tournament, we'd sit in his office for 45 minutes and talk about what I did good, what I need to do better, what can I do to get better at whatever we're talking about. And so, you know, we had talked so much about those process goals. And I said, I want to be the best wedge player in golf, in college golf. Well, I am pretty confident in saying that I was by the end of the year. We played a tournament in Augusta at Forest, Forest Hills, I think. The last hole is this like 300. 10 yard par four but it's like ob is like right up on the green so it's like i'm I'm tied for the lead i'm gonna lay this up hit five iron down there i have 105 yards to this back pin and i'm like getting the number i'm like this is exactly exactly what i've been working for i mean literally exactly i mean this is the exact shot i've been waiting for put me under the gun and let me see if i can hit my freaking number and i fly this thing a foot past the hole and it goes i had a great shot the greens were firm it went to 12 feet but this pin was tucked i mean you couldn't land it short of the hole really 12 feet behind the hole make the putt win the tournament 
Yeah, it's funny that that's one of the those common. Everybody has a story like that to where there's some kind of practice scenario that exists where they're training in a way that creates this trust. And we we actually talked about it a couple of episodes ago, trust training to where they're anchoring to these moments and training to where this is it. And I know I have complete certainty that I have what it takes. And that's a function of really, really effective practice. Yeah. And the enjoyment out of that was not even. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed making birdie the win last hole in front of 100 people. That was awesome. But. The enjoyment for me was the fact that I recognized before I even hit the shot that this is literally exactly what I've been practicing for. This is what I've been grinding hours for, for this opportunity. Like it doesn't, yeah, you're, you, it's helping me to hit the numbers on round one and hole seven. I mean, that's, it feels good to do that. But when it's like, I need to hit the shot to win the tournament and I know that it's not like I didn't know where I was. I'm the last group. I know exactly where I'm at. They got the leaderboard on the phone. I'm like, where am I at? He's like, you're tired for the lead. I'm like, all right, I'm make birdie right here. We win the tournament. And I did it. So that just made me feel really good. Awesome. Because I don't think it's fair with it. Going back to the process versus results goals, in my opinion, it's just like, if you're doing the necessary things, how can you consider anything a failure, right? Golf is a peaks and valley game for everybody. You know, you're going to have years where you kill it and you're going to have years where you're trying to grind out top tens. I mean, it's just a hard game. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. So now let's move on to last fall, to where you certainly you would say you didn't have your best stuff. Obviously you're coming back physically, but you got done what you needed to get done. And so we, we hear a lot of our younger athletes and are, you know, not just younger, I shouldn't limit it to that, but sometimes it sounds like, you know, I just am not very confident. I, I don't have my best stuff. And sometimes the message that we really, really want to tell them is that if you're going to wait around to where you have your best stuff, that might be 3% of the rounds you play for yeah. the rest of your life. Right. But there was a time where you had to get it done. You had to get your status where you wanted it to be, and you didn't have your best stuff. So there has to be a set of soft skills. So your hard skills, your driving, your chipping, your putting, that maybe not be where at the top of your form. But if there's a set of soft skills that exist, whether that be tactically or your mental readiness, your any number of things, I'm curious. That's why I'm asking the question is, what was it that got you through a period of time to where you did what you needed to do despite not having your best stuff? Well, I think even more importantly is the fact that I was on the web.com last year and I didn't get status till halfway through the year. And I played 17 out of 18 weeks and I'm dog tired. And on that 14th week, it was the last week of the regular season. So they're going to hand out 25 cards after that week in Portland. And I am 25th on the money list. And it's my 14th week in a row. And Pumpkin Ridge is a legit course. You can't fake it around that course. It's probably one of the best they play all year. So to anybody listening that doesn't realize how insane 14 weeks in a row is, what's the most you've been, what do you think an average is? Five week stretch is like a long stretch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, five or six this year, I've been tired. Yeah. That's so a long stretch. is like a joke. That's I mean, insane. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. But I had to do it because I didn't play the first half of the year. I had to catch up. Right. So I'm, pl- so I'm playing Pumpkin Ridge and I'm like, obviously exhausted. 
But I'm like, you know what? I need to, I just got to find a way. I mean, I'm not hitting it good. Not putting particularly good. I mean, I need to figure out some way to just get it done. I mean, finish whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, but I sure as hell need to make the cut. I mean, I just need to, I need to go play. I need to just get everything I possibly can out of every round. And if that's good enough, great. If it's not great, but I need to hunker down here and just, and focus. So I did. And I mean, I, I grinded out like, like a 19th place finish or something like that. Fully grinded. I mean, it should have been a 45th. So, but how? Because I just, I just said, I'm not going to let myself lose focus on one shot. I'm not going to let myself hit a shot without being committed. I'm not going to let myself be, I'm not going to let anybody prepare better than me. No one's going to know the golf course better than me. I've, I've won here in college. I won the, the tournament there in college. I know the course. I love the course. I don't have my best stuff, but somehow I'm going to figure out a way to get this done. And it doesn't matter how. I'm just going to, if that means I'm hitting eight irons right and left, I'm going to take conservative targets and hit it to the green and try and make a 30-footer. Right. So your, I'm not your strategy is, is changing in yeah. response to the fact that... Totally. I mean, you don't have your best bigger. stuff. Like you said, maybe 3% of the time where you're like, I can go at all the pins because I'm striping it. So if you're going to be more prepared than anybody else in the field, in a field of professional golfers that have been doing this for a long time, that's a tall order. So I'm curious what that preparation or where you were able to find the advantage, the way to separate, earn an edge from a preparation standpoint. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting question you ask because you would think that me being the most prepared would be me being out there the most. But me being the most prepared that week was fortunately I had prior experience on the course, but the huge advantage that I had was that I was playing the 14th in a row. I promise you there were other guys playing their 14th in a row, and if they weren't, they were playing their 12th out of 14. Everybody plays almost every week on the web.com until you've secured your card. So everybody's looking at this thing like the Masters, and they're grinding, and they're you know busting out three-hour practice sessions on Wednesdays and grinding over five-footers on the putting green, I said, how is that going to help me right now? I'm going to find a couple things in my swing that I can trigger on the golf course that can get me around, and I'm going to rest as much as I possibly can. I'm going to practice for an hour on Wednesday. I'm not playing the pro-am. I practice an hour. I'm going to get an hour of good quality work, and I'm going to go sleep and take a nap and chill. And I was as refreshed and mentally there as I possibly could have been on Thursday. Whereas other guys had just beaten themselves down trying to prepare for the tournament and get their swings ready or their putting strokes ready or whatever it was. And I was like, man, I know this course. I just played a practice round. Game's not in great shape, but I've found a couple things in my swing that can get me through this tournament. And if I just am rested and I can, I can assure that every shot that I hit, I'm rested enough and focused enough that I can make a good committed swing or a good committed stroke or whatever it is. I mean, I'm going to be more prepared than anybody else. Yeah, we're progressing here because we get through Portland and now we have our card. And so now you've got a full season on the PGA Tour this year. And we're sitting here, and I'm not sure when this will, when we'll share this one, but we're a couple weeks before the British Open. We've got like five top tens so far. Yeah. Things have been going pretty well mm-hmm. this year. So I'm curious, early in your, are you not considered a rookie right now, by the way? We may not not go into this. Okay. I think I've played too much. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, 
we'll call it a rookie season, a rookie mm-hmm. campaign is, here yeah. for the sake of this conversation. And we've got five top tens, which is pretty uncommon. I mean, you don't see people jump out there and do that. I'm curious what you feel like the strengths that you would attribute to this quick climb would be like, and we've talked about each level. There's been these extra set of skills that have kind of moved you on junior golf, maturity and discipline, the supportive with reflection and um, from, and just getting better with the way that you were training in college. So now this level, everybody's good. Everybody's really, really good. For sure. And you've set yourself apart almost one couple times, couple second place finishes. So mm-hmm. um, what are the strengths there that you would attribute that climb to? I would say, Strictly on a statistical standpoint, my driving this calendar year has been phenomenal. I picked up four or five miles an hour club speed in the off season and got back, like I was saying, back from my injuries to get back to a, a good speed. Hitting it way longer, but I've hit it way straighter. <laughs> that driver is a weapon. I mean, if you can get the ball in play and hit it pretty far, I mean, you're in good shape. And that's been huge for me. And I've also putted extraordinarily well. And I've I've always known from college that once I got acclimated on the tour that I would really putt well because the greens are generally pretty good and I know that I can start my ball in line and I know how to read a green. So, you know, you can only do so much if the ball's not staying on line, right? But we've been very fortunate to play on pure courses and I think for the most part, 90% of my tournaments have been positive putting, I would think, and some like very significantly positive, like six, seven, eight strokes. And that's huge. I mean, I've I've gotten uh, I've started using green books on the on the greens, and I've kind of figured out a system that works really well for me. I don't get too exact. I just I I know that roughly it's going to break this far with this percent break from this distance, and I just have the idea that okay, I'm going to stand over this putt and I'm going to hit a solid putt, and it's going to have a chance to go in. I'm fully committed on the putt, and I'm like, you know what? I mean, from 20 feet, if I hit a good putt, if you hit a 20-footer and you miss by a, a half a cup, that's a pretty damn good putt. So I'm just trying to give it a chance, and I think I've gotten away from trying to be too perfect, even though my targets are very exact. I'm, I mean, I, I just, I'm not trying to force it online or force a certain speed. I've just tried to really trust myself, uh, and it's been really good. How about outside of the hard skills? Because I mean, I'm curious because you know those are almost universal. Mm-hmm. You're you're driving it long and far, mm-hmm. and you're putting well. Mm-hmm. Well, that usually works out okay totally. for most guys, right? So, yeah. but at the same time, there's a number of guys that come out on tour that that may have some of those hard skills, but don't respond to don't, don't adjust quickly enough to have such quick results. And you look at guys like like yourself, guys like Jordan, these young guys that are have played well really, really early. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you see any commonalities outside of those hard skills that you discussed right there that you feel like have been helpful in the, yeah. in the climb. Well, I think uh, truthfully, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody else, I have the intent to win. I don't have the intent to keep my card or to make a cut. I don't care about that. Yeah. I'm showing up to the tournament to win the tournament in my rookie year and not in my 10th year. I don't, I'm not showing up the first, you know, tournament in, in Napa and trying to get myself in good position to keep my card. It's like, no, I've worked hard to get here. I'm qualified literally to be on this tour. I'm qualified to win. So I'm going to go win. I'm going to play and put myself in contention and do that. I'm not, I'm not concerned about finishing top 10 
not concerned about making a cut. I'm concerned about going and playing my best golf and giving myself a chance to win. I was talking to Coach Fields earlier today, who is Bo's coach at, at University of Texas, and I asked him. I said, "When you when Bo was around there, what was one of the things that kind of set himself apart?" You know, we're we're talking about edge earning actions. How do you how do you create an edge, an advantage? And he said, "Bo has an uncommon confidence." He said, I saw it in Jordan. Jordan had a similar uncommon confidence. When he came, he said, I don't know if it's something that can be taught. I don't know how he got it. And to me, that's what I'm hearing in your message there. It takes an, an uncommon confidence to say, I'm, I'm here. I am at the next rung of the ladder. And my expectation is that I'm going to win the same way that I have everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you have some experience and some evidence at each level that you're capable of doing that. But still, there, there's something to and, that. And truthfully, I don't think that comes, I don't think that confidence comes without having done it sure sure hard to have confidence that you can win if you haven't won well yeah and, so and that, winning the first time at any level is hard to do right you know and that's my question is, is where that comes from so you're saying it comes from i'm saying it comes from an early age at any sport i wanted to be the best at what i was doing when i was b- playing baseball i would grind 10 11 years old to be the best player in the field when i started playing golf i wanted to be the best in orange county i wanted to be the best in my state i wanted to win tournaments and I didn't want, I didn't like the feeling of leaving a tournament and getting beat, you know, sucks. It's not what you play for. I mean, you don't play, you're on the PGA tour, you have guys making millions of dollars and you know, some guys are, some guys are happy with a comfortable living on the tour, but I mean, it's like, we're all living comfortably, very comfortably. It's about, for me, it's like, I'm out here to win. This is what I, this is what I'm living for right now is to play golf and to be competitive and to compete against guys that I've watched play golf on TV for 10 years. Who gets that opportunity? So that competitiveness, you would say, is one of those, along with the confidence. For sure. So where does the competitiveness come from? Does that come from inherently who you are growing up, playing other sports, your dad, your experiences early on? Probably a combination of all the things you just said. I mean, I just, I think it's just strictly also a personality trait, right? And some people just aren't competitive about anything. They just kind of want to do it. And that's totally fine. I think it's feasible that you can be competitive about different things. I'm just competitive about being the best. I just want to be best. I want to beat the best players when they're playing their best. I don't want to be handed a trophy by some guy making a quad on the last hole. You know, I want to be in that moment feeling that pressure and beat the golf course in order to beat that person. So let's talk about that moment. And you just had one early in the season at Shell. Mm-hmm. I mean, heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say. Yeah. Where um, on the 18th hole, you make a really, really good putt that with one extra roll goes in the hole and you win the golf tournament. But with the one-shot lead, Ian Poulter makes the putt and then wins it in the playoff. So my question is, you, you've discussed how at each level you've learned this. What are the lessons in the last six months and being in contention a few times that you are going to consciously reference back to the next time that you're in that situation that tells you, well, now I know exactly what to do because I, I've been here and, and I know this. So it's interesting you talk about this show and having reflected on it a bunch, obviously it's pretty fresh in my mind still, but it's maybe the only tournament I've played that I didn't win that I felt like I won. <laughs> Meaning I felt like when I walked off the 18th green in regulation that I had played well enough that week to win the tournament and we were going to play off. I ended up losing the playoff, but I'm saying I'm sitting in the scoring tent and I'm like, 
you know, or just even on the drive home, I'm just like, I can honestly say there's not a single thing I would have changed about the week. There wasn't a moment that I was like, oh, I didn't make a committed swing or I had a bad strategy or I had a lapse of lapse of judgment or anything like that. I was like, man, I, I was three or four back with eight to go. I birdied four out of six holes. I then played a very difficult three-hole stretch with a one-shot lead and made three quality pars. What else can you do? I mean, at some point, sometimes you're just not going to win. And so I didn't get down about that. I was bummed that I didn't win, obviously, because like that would have been huge for me. But you know, sometimes you'll leave a tournament and you'll be like, oh, I just I kind of tried to force this putt in from 10 feet or... I just wasn't real committed or something like that. And you're like, man, I regret something that I did that week. I was like, man, I I can honestly say I don't regret anything. I'm talking, I made triple in the playoff, but I had, I played the necessary shot from the bunker and it just didn't go my way, but I can't look and say I made a timid bunker shot or I was afraid of a bad result or nerves caused that. I was like, man, I had a really hard shot. And I just didn't pull it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So the lesson there is that when you're in that situation, again, you know that... I know that I have what it takes to win because of that is my point. Right. I know that because of that experience, I am good enough to win on the PJ Tour. Okay, we're going to get some of our fun questions. So there was a number, there was four or five questions in all the conversations that we've had that we've asked. And the first one being about how you would prepare for events. So this, the hypothetical scenario is that if you had, let's take the British because you're preparing for the British Open right now. So if at the Open, humanity and the future of mankind depended on you winning, meaning if you do not win, then the world's exploding. We, the world is exploding, doomsday scenario, we're all gone. So you have to win. What does your prep look like? The same it looks like every week. I mean, I'm not going to so, do anything different. So what does it look like? It's oh, so you're asking yeah, me. Okay, yeah. so uh, I'm gonna show up on. Well, this is kind of different because I don't normally show up to a major, uh, major championship. So for a major championship, I'm gonna show up probably to Carnoustie on Sunday. I'm gonna go play nine holes. I'm probably gonna do forty minutes of wedge numbers, iron numbers, carries stuff like that. Probably not even gonna putt. I'm going to do a little bit of bunker work and short game work around the green, but nothing crazy. The next day, Monday, I'm going to go play the other nine. I'm going to, like we, I worked on with Cam the other day, I'm going to work on, strictly for that tournament, I'm going to work on hitting my mid-irons, shorter distances for when it starts, the conditions get tough, just so I have a good feel for how do I hit a six iron 160 yards instead of 195 yards? What does that feel like? And I'll work on that, and we've worked on that. And I'll continue to do that. And you need that a little bit in America, but not, I mean, you just don't generally get conditions that you have to be able to hit that shot. You can normally kind of crutch something else up there, but for this tournament, you got to have it. So I'll do that. I'll, uh, like I said, play the nine holes. And when I play those nine holes, I'm going to try and get the pin locations from the previous opens, obviously, just so I know where the pins are. And I'm going to find all the spots that should be routine up and downs, and I'm going to hit those shots. I'm not going to work on the hard shots because I'm probably not going to get them up and down anyways. But if I can guarantee myself I'm going to get up and down from the spots that are basic, that's a good thing. You don't want to be leaving strokes out there because you're missing routine stuff. And your strategy will be to miss in those places anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not trying to miss, but you're aware that these places are better. And then Tuesday, 
I'll probably do the other nine holes again, the, f- the first nine holes, and do the same thing. I mean, it's just a, it's a, I don't go and grind. I mean, I don't bust out seriously long range sessions. If the world depended on it, I still wouldn't do it. <laughs> now, it's a different story if my swing was in a place that I needed to find something right, was incapable of getting it around. But assuming my swing's still in a decent place in a week and a half, I know how to hit the shots. It's just a matter of doing it. So I'm going to, continue doing exactly what i do i mean i'm probably do the same thing considering there's no pro-am or anything i'm going to do the same thing every day it's nine holes and probably an hour and 20 minutes of work i'll do most of my putting work probably on wednesday if i putt too much i get into bad habits so i don't really putt too much i've had tournaments this year where i have not putted on the putting green until thursday and i'll show up and just get the speed and roll it great and i'll be putting great what will your putting work look like on that wednesday so the entirety of my putting work every time i putt on the putting green is i start with this 36 inch cheddar swanson uh lowe's ruler i just putt down it from three feet i find just a straight putt up the hill putt three footers and just literally strictly getting feedback on if i'm starting the ball online it's obviously a really fast surface so if you're pushing it it just immediately goes off but I'll do that until I consistently am making them. So whether that's 10 or 15 in a row, I'll do that. And then I exclusively putt with one ball. And I always line up my ball like I do on the golf course on every single putt. Whether it's a 50-footer on the putting green or a three-foot slider or whatever it is, I always putt like it's a tournament. And I'll literally just go around the green. I'll, you know, I'll hit a few, maybe six or 10 putts inside of seven, eight feet, kind of different breaks, downhill, uphill, whatever, just getting the feel and the the tendency of the grass and kind of how much it's breaking compared to what I'm expecting. And then uh, I'll hit some putts from 10 to 25 feet, but the intention of every putt is to make the putt. So I'm not going with the intention of learning the speed of the greens. I'm going with the intention of making it and then just subconsciously adjusting to what my feel is. What's something that's very useful that has proven to be very useful to you in your development that most people underrate? That most people ignore and neglect, but in fact is something you would really contribute. I would say analysis. I'd be surprised how many guys play tournaments and so we're talking stats. You mean no, no. I'm just saying like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean stats, kind of. But I'm saying let's sit on the plane on the way home and really get into and be honest with myself about what I do. Yeah, I mean, some people just aren't that honest with themselves. They find the things that they don't do well and they don't want to talk about it. Is that someone that you're doing with your caddy? Something you're doing with Cam? Something you're doing with everybody? The whole everybody. Team. I mean, but a lot of it is just myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm the only only person who knows how I feel over a shot. Everybody can see the result of the shot, but I'm the only person that says, "Okay, was I comfortable over that? Was I confident? Was I thinking in my head, yeah, I got this, no problem?" Or was I like, uh, "Let's get a little, little conservative here because I'm not real sure what's going to happen." You know what I mean? So a lot of that is just for me, just being completely honest with myself. Some people just really aren't that honest. I mean, how are you going to get better if you can't admit what you're feeling? Or, you know, some people will say, I, you know, I wasn't nervous. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if you were, but if you were nervous, you probably should tell yourself you were nervous. It's not a big deal. It's not a bad thing. The flip side of that, what's overrated that most people are doing way too much of that is, should not be given a whole lot of effort. I guess a time waster question. Uh, time waster question. Yeah. Practicing so, stupid hard shots around the greens. Okay. Honestly, you, I mean, you yeah. need to be able, you need to have the skill set to be able to hit the shot, but you have to understand the percentages. When you're hitting a nasty flop out of five inch rough to a tuck pin, I mean, how, no matter how much you practice that shot, 
it's still only going to be, you're only going to pull that off at X number of times. So why are you wasting your time in a practice round doing that? Okay. I love it. I haven't, I haven't heard that answer yet. I love it. Yeah. What's the worst advice that you hear other professional players give, whether that be to, eh, let, let's, let's aim it at, at aspiring. So, so the worst maybe, advice that people yeah, give that professional golfers that you, that you hear from, from other guys on tour. Is there any bad advice that you hear often? This is going to sound real bad, but honestly, <laughs> don't hold back. It's, it amazes me how some people will encourage people that don't have what it takes. And I mean that in a nice way. I mean, like, and I don't mean the intention. I mean, why are you encouraging this guy like he has a chance when he doesn't even have the discipline to go do what's necessary? Or he's going out and partying and he's not practicing and you're telling him to keep doing what he's doing and that, you know, it'll, it'll pay out. I'm like, no, I don't care what the talent level, what the skill level, what the score is. If there's a kid shooting 82, but he's doing what is necessary for him to get better and be like, dude, you're awesome, man. Keep grinding. You know what I mean? But if there's some kid shooting 67 and he's not, he's not willing to do what's necessary for him to be where he wants to be. Why am I encouraging that? Yeah. So the, to clarify, you're talking in terms of effort, not in terms of yeah. where they are. No, not necessarily. Right? Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. obviously here's the thing I'll say there takes a certain level of talent to be good at anything. But if you're extremely talented and you don't do what's necessary, that's a, you don't, you're not just going to get there strictly on talent. Yeah. It goes back to the discipline. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I will say that if you have no golf talent, no matter how hard you work, you're probably not going to be on tour. But if you have a relatively decent amount of talent and you work hard, you have a great chance. Yeah, no doubt. Last one. I lied. This is really the last one. As you look, let me, in the top 30 right now, and as you look up the world golf rankings and you're trying to decipher what's different, not just about the best in the world, the guys that are playing the PJ Tour, but the top 1%. And you can't, we, we've covered the hard skills. So is there anything that you can identify as a separator in your eyes as you've interacted with them, you've played against them, you've been around them that says the top 1% of the 1%, top five in the world, whatever that is, here's what's different about these guys. Here's whether that be something I'm striving to, you're striving to have or something that you've noticed or something that you, that maybe validates that, oh, I have that too. Yeah. What would that be? For the elite, elite players, I think it's just, honestly, it, it comes down to, in my opinion, that they're so passionate about being the best at what they do. And they're not satisfied with being the third-ranked player or finishing top five. For example, like Ricky Fowler finished top five, I think, four times in the same season in majors, right? I promise you he's not leaving that year like, we did it right yeah, right even though it's tr an unbelievable thing i'm saying he's there to win Hungry. he wants to be the best and i would say there's numerous players like that and you know you for example you look at a guy like jordan i mean for the most part for the most part a lot of the guys that are top 10 in the world hit it really far really far and he hits it a good ways but not like that but he has a competitiveness that he's going to beat you and I think all the guys that are extremely successful, and honestly, I think it goes beyond, way beyond golf. I mean, just in general, talk about basketball. I mean, it's just, we think about like LeBron James. It's like, I don't care who's around me. I'm going to find a way to beat you, right? And so I think it's, I think that trait is that it kind of goes back kind of similar to the thing at Pumpkin Ridge that I was talking about. It's like, sometimes it's, it's just about getting it done. And you don't make the excuse that, you know, my swing wasn't good or 
whatever. I mean, no one cares. It doesn't matter. If you show up to the Masters and you're hitting a terrible, you just missed two cuts, still with the Masters, you still have a chance to win. You're going to do everything you can to win. And the intention is to do that. The intention isn't to, you know, the intention isn't to just top 15 it or, you know, improve my world ranking by finishing top 10 or anything like that. It's about, I want to be the best at what I'm doing and I'm willing to do what's necessary, whether that's going back to analysis, whether it's about being honest with myself, whether it's about putting in the work, it's about putting in the smart work, it's about making sure I'm fully hydrated and rested while I play. It's all those things combined, but it's the willingness to do what's necessary and to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge.